Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Sin usually comes with the deceitful promise of blessing, increase, and prosperity. Sin is tempting because it knows how to look or appear desirable. Bread is a good thing. And here, as an analogy, it stands for anything we may pursue wickedly. The evil is not in the thing. God made the world, he created matter, and he created everything for us. Our God is gracious. There's nothing wrong with a faithful desire for stuff. We should desire it. It is a God-given impulse to desire it. The problem is when we pursue it unfaithfully. When we lie, steal, or cheat, we may attain the object of our desire, but the end of that road is death. Sin is always a step down that path, because God is life. Sin gets in between us and the source of all true satisfaction. The very object we desire more than Him, by pursuing it outside of Him, will become the source of great misery. The first taste seems like heaven, but as soon as greed is satiated, guilt and shame have free reign. Moreover, God reads our hearts, and he judges wisely. This principle is evident over and over again in Scripture. Adam and Eve ate their apple and gave up life. Jacob deceived Isaac and stole the birthright, but he had to flee for his life to Laban. David had Bathsheba, but lost his firstborn son, and Israel suffered a pestilence. Absalom grasped for the kingdom and lost his life. This list can go on and on and on, but the truth of the matter is obvious. Sin may grant short-term desires, but its end is always death. In the end, the sinner is left chewing on gravel. The wise man knows this and thus learns to look to God for his bread in faith because of the other proverb. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel. in what sounded like a kind of Shangri-La. Good vibrations abounded. The apostles rejoiced in, in their witnessing before the Sanhedrin. They prayed for boldness and God sent the Holy Spirit. The result was a glorious community of believers. The rich helped the poor. 
the apostles continued to proclaim the good news of our risen Lord. Everybody was of one heart and mind, and great grace was upon them all. Our text this week starts off with a concrete example of the kind of service that was taking place in the example of Barnabas, Acts 4, verses 36 and 37. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the, of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is a major player in the early church. Here we are introduced to him, and what an introduction. Barnabas represents everything that is right in the section we just worked through last week. He falls down at the feet of Jesus, recognizing Jesus as Lord and master and king of his life. He claims Jesus as his sovereign. Later on in the book, we see that Barnabas is the guy who introduces Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the other apostles in Jerusalem because everybody else was afraid of him. They thought he was the, the guy who was attacking the church. Barnabas is also sent on missions by the church. The first mission he sent on is to check on Antioch. And then he chases down Paul, and he brings him back to Antioch, and he ministers alongside Paul for a year there, before they're sent on a mercy mission trip to Jerusalem. While they were in Jerusalem, they were sent on their first, Paul's first, missionary journey together. Barnabas was, in effect, St. Paul's mentor. And he was also St. Paul's interpreter or his paraclete, his lawyer. He's, he's called here by the apostles the son of encouragement. The Greek word is the paraklesis, the son, the, the son of paraklesis. Encouragement means, it means not just encouragement, it also means exhortation. It's, it's the same word that the, the, the Gospels use to describe what the Holy Spirit would be to the coming to the church. When Jesus says, well, I'm going to send your spirit, send my spirit, and he will be a comforter to you. It's, the Holy Spirit is a paraclesis, and, and Barnabas is the son of paraclesis. So when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he is united with the apostolic church, the early church, by Barnabas. So he's, he's, Barnabas is Paul's emissary to the apostles and the pillars of the Jerusalem church. And, this, and the reason that Barnabas, Barnabas was in a particularly good place to, to fulfill that function was he was a central figure in the early church, the Jerusalem church, from the very beginning in this text today. This is, we're talking about the very beginning of the church here. We've, we've just had Pentecost. We've just had the first arrest of John and Peter and the proclamation of the gospel to the Sanhedrin. This is only days after Pentecost. And here is Barnabas laying down all of his possessions at the feet of the apostles. Barnabas was also the cousin of John Mark. John Mark was Peter's apprentice who wrote the gospel of Mark. Barnabas' sacrifice, his faithful falling down at Jesus' feet, brings glory to Barnabas. 
His name is here recorded among the very first Christians. He is the concrete example Luke gives us of the kind of work that the Holy Spirit was doing in Jerusalem at this time. Barnabas' name was glorified. And glory is beautiful. And it always attracts. The church in Jerusalem was growing by leaps and bounds. The faithful were filled with the Holy Spirit. And miracles abounded in their midst. This new community was glorious. But our text now takes a very distinct turn, and we're given a counterexample to Barnabas' faithfulness. One of the fruits of sin in the world ever since the fall is that sinners desire to receive the praise of the righteous without the attendant righteousness. Sinners want the blessings of God without the obedience he demands. They want his gifts without pursuing them the way that he prescribes. And so we read of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 5, verses 1 to 11. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then... Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. Here we see a remarkable event. In the midst of of the burgeoning prosperity and growth of the church, we have this narrative of death and destruction. Here a man and his wife seek to obtain the glory of Barnabas by attempting to deceive the apostles regarding the size of their gift. On the surface of this text, particularly in our culture, it appears that the consequences here are a little severe for the infraction. Isn't God being a little tough on Ananias and Sapphira? Aren't there more grotesque sins that go by with far less serious and, or at least immediate consequences or reprisals? Besides that, it seems that skimming from what is already yours is almost even a semantic issue. It's, it's, it's almost like it's a, it's a definition problem. 
they were giving to the church, weren't they? Why is it such a big deal that they didn't give quite as much as they said they had given? And how can it be worthy of immediate capital punishment, immediate death? I'm sure, I think, and I know that many Christians today are puzzled by this text. Just do a quick Google search of this. Why did Ananias and Sapphira have to die? And you will see opinion after opinion of what, what people try and wrestle through this. You'll find the many chalk it up first as just one of those passages you accept and move on. We don't want to think about it. It's too difficult. Others insist that it was a special time in the early church and God was making a point. He was making an example out of Ananias and Sapphira. Lest anyone else take their sin lightly. If that's the case, then was their real sin bad timing? Should they have just waited a little longer before doing what they did? Well, they might have gotten away with it, like people do today. Still others point to God's holiness and say that He can't abide by sin. But how does that compute with the message of the Gospel? Jesus forgives sin, and His grace is sufficient. As we wrestle with this, we need to first do a little digging. We need some clarity. And the first thing we need to do is to define terms. What is the sin that Ananias and Sapphira committed? At first, it's technically not a lie. They, they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias brings a certain part and lays it at the apostles' feet. He doesn't even give the, the verbiage. What, he doesn't say anything. He just shows up, lays it at the apostles' feet, implying that this is, this is what we've given. Even in, in verse 7, the wicked mind could say, Sapphira is yes for so much. When Peter asked him, did you sell the land for so much? Our, our wicked hearts are fully capable of thinking, oh, we sold it for that much, plus a little more. But yes, for so much we sold it. This was misrepresentation. It was an invitation to the church to assume that what they were doing was what Barnabas had done. A greater thing. So it's not a technical lie. It was not disobeying a mandate. They weren't failing to give everything that they had because in order to join the early church, you... You had to join the commune, and you had to turn over all of your assets to this body of people, and then they would give you your food, and they would give you your tasks, and they would tell you what to do, and you'd be a good little robot. And Ananias and Sapphira weren't abiding by the rules of the commune. That's not what was going on. Peter says, while it remained, was it not your own? It was yours. It really was yours. And after you sold it, was it not in your own Control. You have true ownership of what God gives you. The church wasn't calling people to just give them everything. That's not not the way that that would be a sin. What it was was hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira desired a claim. They desired glory. They wanted to be leaders and apostles in the church. They desire what God promises without true obedience. 
They wanted to be princes and nobles in the kingdom that God was setting up in the world. And yet they wanted to maintain their own little stake under their own little flag. It was a lie. Technically, they could. Uh, people are fully capable of trying to explain away lies. But they lied. They, they lied to the apostles. And what a lie is, it's an act of war. Our God is truth, and a lie is a denial of God. When we lie, we are, we are declaring war on those we lie to. The Ananias and Sapphira had declared an act of war on the Christian community of the church. And it wasn't just a lie to Peter. It wasn't just a lie to the apostles. Because God identified with Peter and the apostles. When you lie to God's people, you're lying to God. This was an act of war with God. Because God identifies with the Holy Spirit. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in the very next verse he says, you've not lied to men, but to God. This is one of the proof texts that the Holy Spirit is, is God. It's one of the proof texts for the, the Trinity. It's, it's a revelation of who God is and how he works. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three in one. And you can't lie to any one of them without lying to all of them. Because they identify with each other, you cannot lie to one without lying to all. So you lie to the Holy Spirit. You lie to God. And in God's tremendous grace and glory, He sends His Holy Spirit to His people. So when you lie to God's people, you lie to God. When you lie to the church, you lie to the community of God. So when Ananias and Sapphira are hypocrites, they lie, and, and, and because they're lying to God, because this is an act of war, this is false worship. This is idolatry. They're putting their faith in something other than God. They kept back a part of it for themselves. Their faith is in their material rather than God. Now, now that we've defined their sin, we need to see that what this has to do with the community of the church. This, this, this segment, the, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. A, a big problem, big reason why we, we struggle with understanding what's going on here. Why, why, is it God, why is God being so picky about Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, Peter denied Jesus, didn't he? Why is it that Ananias and Sapphira have to die? Well, God's doing a new thing in the world. He's establishing a new people, a new Israel. Last week, it, we left off with the church. When God, when God sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he calls 3,000 men to be his body. And then shortly after, when Peter and John go to the temple and they heal the lame man and they're put on trial by the Sanhedrin, he calls 5,000 men to be his body, his people in the world. When you look at when God constitutes a new people, when God makes covenant with his people, 
All kinds of signs and wonders are part of that. In the Old Testament, when God called his people out of Egypt, he wanted them to obey. And so he gave them very specific laws and very specific rules. When they wouldn't obey, they would suffer. They would die. They would, they would have pestilence. If they took too much manna, they'd have worms. If they didn't get enough, they'd go hungry and God would be angry. When Achan doesn't obey God and, and leave the, the wealth of Jericho to be destroyed, God destroys him. God's purifying his people. So last week we left off with the church. And as, as I said in my introduction, in a kind of utopian, glorious stage of growth and power and grace. Barnabas was part of that. Peter was part of that. And here we see that Ananias and Sapphira desired the glory that goes with that. The kind of glory that Barnabas and Peter had. But they were not willing to sacrifice what they sacrificed to have it. All through history there have been attempts to achieve the human equivalent of what God intended in creation. And what Jesus gives us in the church. It started at the Tower of Babel. Men got together and said, hey, let's, let's create our own society. This will be glorious. God confused them and sent them out. It's evident in Marxism, communism, and socialism. Every single religion tries to offer some sort of heaven on earth or in the afterlife, or whatever, but some sort of holy community. Shangri-La, beauty, Garden of Eden. The story of Ananias and Sapphira informs us that true community is only possible by God's grace and on His terms. God is the only source of power and glory and grace. The reason that every attempt at altruism, free love, communism, communes, or human utopia fails outside of the church is that God made the world, and there are certain laws that must be obeyed. These failed attempts, all these false attempts to create a human utopia outside of God's law, they all try to achieve a similarity to what God designed. They try to do the second commandment. Every society and religion has some sort of the golden rule. Do unto others as you have them do unto yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. They have some form of that in order to exist because we know that in our bones. We need that in community. The problem and the reason that every one of these attempts fail is that they forget to get the order right. The great commandment is first. Unless we first learn who we are by fearing, looking to, and loving God, the true God, the only God, the creator of heaven and earth, who, in whom we live and move and have our being, unless we first look to him in fear and awe, 
loving Him with all our hearts, our souls, our strength, and our mind, we cannot know who we are, and we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves. The first commandment is first. You can't do the second commandment unless you do the first commandment. And this is because our God is love. He shows us what love is. He's triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His Spirit overflows with love because God does. The Spirit's exactly like the Father and the Son. He is God. His desire is for the other. God loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And they all love each other and their love overflows to their creation and the world they've created, the, to us. And when we are filled with the Spirit like Barnabas, his desire was for the body of Christ. His heart belonged to Jesus. And through Jesus, it belonged to the church. And when Barnabas gives the church all of his possessions, he was giving it to himself because he identified with Christ. Ananias, the counterexample, self-evidently did not identify with Christ. His motives were the motives of Satan. They were selfish and inward-focused rather than outward-focused. In his very core, he was denying the very essence of God and yet desiring to be praised as godly. In their sin, Ananias and Sapphira have committed the great sin of hypocrisy. They come to God, offering their allegiance to King Jesus, the subject of the previous chapter, the trial before the Sanhedrin. What's the message of the gospel? Jesus is King of heaven and earth. Submit to him. Kiss the son lest he be angry. Ananias and Sapphira make a show of doing that. They do it two-facedly, holding back, hedging their bets. In these verses, we learn that Jesus is not satisfied with anything less than all of us. We must die in order to follow him. Give it all up. If we will not die on our own, like Barnabas then we will die all on our own, like Ananias and Sapphira. Sin is in our world and in our lives. Death is a necessary thing, because by death, God cleanses the world. He purges us from sin, or he destroys us in our sin. Death is a given, but resurrection and resurrection life is an option, and it's a free gift. When we lay our lives down at the feet of Jesus, the result was that great fear came upon all those who heard these things. This is told to us twice in these 11 verses. Great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Our God is a consuming fire. We cannot be insipid in our service of him. We die for him. Or we die from him. We are resurrected, or we perish. We must be all or nothing, and when we are all in, His power in us is very real.
Because the church, purified, is full of grace and light and life and power. Acts 5, 12 and 13. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. The witness of the apostles goes out. And the Lord is glorified in their power and in their unity. And yet there are a number who don't dare to join. They fear to join. This is remarkable. It makes sense. Ananias and Sapphira looked like they were trying to join. They're dead. This is remarkable stuff. Despite the reluctance of those who did not dare to join them, the Lord continued to grow the church and send more power. Verses 14 to 16. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now the power is multiplied, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The kind of community that the church brings is astounding. Till now, we've been told that 3,000 men believed in one day. And then the number rose to 5,000. But now we stop counting. We're left with multitudes of believers. Multitudes of men and women. Multitudes. The church, God's work in the world, is designed to grow. The word church is from the Greek ekklesia, and it means the called out ones. God has called out these believers to be his own special people, and of multitudes he makes one. There's power in unity. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Then God sends continued grace and health and growth. The church, when it is being itself, is that kind of community. It is a kind of heaven on earth. No, it is heaven on earth. God brings his presence into our midst so that we can see him and love him in each other, in our neighbor. By his spirit, each of us are called to die to ourselves, to live to him, and that means for one another, for each other. Is this kind of selfless living only available in the one true God and total submission to Him that brings life to the dead, health to the sick, and purity to the impure. Even the shadow of the apostle, the mere darkening of the light in his wake, was desirable, not because of magic, but because God is among us. The God who does miracles, who raises the dead, is living in our hearts by His Spirit, His Holy Spirit. That is power, but beware of hypocrisy. You cannot lie to God. He knows you from the inside out. Don't lie to Him. Fall at His feet, begging His mercy and grace, resting in His promise and gospel. Die to yourself, and He will give you real life, true life, resurrection life, His life. 
the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Our God is a consuming fire. He will destroy his enemies and purify his children. We must come before him in reverence and awe, with fear and trembling, because he demands our all. He wants to take all of us, that he might transform us into his likeness. He desires to transform our empty and frail frames into the temples of the living God. He desires to take our living death and swap it for pure and unadulterated life. In his doing this, we are blessed. He feeds us and cares for us. He defends us from our enemies, and he delivers us from our foes. If God is for us, who can be against us? Don't take all of this theoretically. Don't think, that's right, I agree, but then not do anything about it. Instead, believe. Trust him to provide for you. Lay down whatever it is that is most important to you at Jesus' feet. Lay down your stuff. Lay down your time, lay down your family, and in faith, expect His grace. Look to Him as your Lord and follow Him and what He says to do. Your stuff belongs to Him. You are His steward. Live that way. When God says He wants our all, He shows us what He means. Love God. Love your neighbor. Die for Jesus, die for your neighbor, and receive eternal life. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.